0: The concept of restoration I don't think is needs a lot of explanation, right? Take something old, fix it, make it new, right? Uh, When Pawn Stars, that show came out, you guys familiar with it, people would bring stuff in, you're like, holy cow, I can't believe they ripped those people off and gave them that little bit of money. And then some of the items they would buy, they would be like, well, you know, i got to put some money into restoring it to be able to sell it. And there was a guy that would come on the show and he would say, okay, we'll go here and do this. And then that guy got his own show. The whole show was about all the items he would restore. Now, the fun part about it was you would see an old uh, vending machine. You would see an old kid's toy made of metal and no safety features to it at all. And they would restore it and it would just look amazing. And then money was to be made. Now, you think about the guy that does the restoration. Has anyone here restored anything? Just show of hands, you've restored something. Okay, not very many of us. Okay, so when you do that, you see the value comparatively to the amount of work to restore, right? You wouldn't go restore a car that was 20% frame left because of rust. You would be like, that's a lost cause, right? We see that in various TV shows. They'll find a barn find is what they call it. And they assess the value of this vehicle. We're going to replace that. We're going to fix that. we have going to do this. Is it going to be worth it? When they decide it's worth it, sometimes they get into the project and realize it's a lot more than they thought. Those things in restoration is what we're going to be facing and what we're going to be talking about this morning. But we're not talking about earthly treasures. We're not talking about things. We're not talking about our stuff. We're talking about fellow believers. So when we see the passion of the guy from Pawn Stars and the different shows that are out there, maybe you've got a favorite one. Maybe it's people that repair fix homes, right? Uh, My wife, is just she loves watching those shows. And some of that spills into our house where it's like, hey, we can fix this, we can do this. And that is great and that is good. But this morning, our eyes are going to affix to our brothers and sisters in Christ. The passion that you see, the labor that goes into it, right? A 30-minute show will sometimes do three or four different items. But those three or four items, when you back it out and realize it was over several months that the work was done, a lot of the work wasn't even shown, because who wants to watch a 45-minute show of a guy doing this on the car? Yeah, that's good. Okay, over here. Like they just cut that part out. So what we're going to watch for is in the concept of restoration among our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the redeemed. The redeemed are the ones at which God has called and given salvation to. You've called upon the name of Jesus. You've asked him to be your savior. You've repented of your sin. You are a believer. You are a follower of Christ. When you've done that, you are the redeemed. You were the ones I'm talking about this morning. The only difference in the relationship of what we do when we go to someone who's lost and doesn't know Christ as a savior, we're not going to restore them. We're going to redeem them with the promises of Christ, calling on them to repent of their sin, to ask Jesus to be their savior. Now they're redeemed. Now we're going to start watching in the context of what we're doing. Those are the differences in the things we're talking about. Stuff, isn't it cool to watch? Isn't it cool to see how the value is restored to an item? The same heart, the same passion has to be in each of us towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't we want to see our brother and sister in Christ freed from the the empowering nature of sin? Don't we want to see them be overcomers? Don't we want to see what Christ can do in their lives? And that has to be our attitude. The Bible describes our heart, basically, it's the part of man's spiritual makeup. It's the place where emotions and desires begin. It is the thing that drives uh, the will of man towards action. So think of this guy on the show. And here comes a person. They bring in, uh, I think one of my favorite ones was, like, was an old pop machine. It was one of the bottle vending machines. I used one of those like that at a barber shop when I was really little. And even back then... Uh, In the early 80s, that vending machine was still really old at that time. You would go in you put your money in and the door would open and then you would grab your bottle and then you would pull it out and it would like click loose. And then you would have a nice ice cold... Uh, beverage of whatever, uh, Coke is probably what it was. We would get a haircut, and then we would get a pop. My grandparents or my grandmother would usually get that for us. Uh, just something I remember. And I saw it on the show, and I was like, "Oh, cool!" So the doors rusted, the hinges are broken, the little trays that all the stuff fits on is kind of bent and broken. So the guy takes it all apart, and the show—they just show all this cool stuff. And he's walking through, and he's talking about how, "Oh, this is going to be great. Oh, this is going to be so good. This is going to be. Oh, uh, it's going to be a lot of work. And you know, my guy's going to do this. We're going to send this piece there to sandblast. We're going to send this piece here to get uh, rebuilt." We're going to do all this stuff. They bring it all back together, pulls the blanket off, shows the guy there's tears in his eyes because he's like, that's the thing that he remembers from when he was younger and joy, right? That's the passion Christians should have for our brothers and sisters when they're stuck and struggling with sin. We long for our brother and sister to have joy. We want to help them overcome. And that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to focus on. So our topic, the title, Restoration of the Redeemed, Spiritual restoration will take place when we have hearts that have these five characteristics. The five characteristics are laid out in your notes. Number one is where we're going to start, and it's in verse one. A heart that loves their brothers and sisters. Number one, we have hearts that love our brothers and sisters. Look at the verse, verse one, it says brothers. Paul is giving us an understanding of family, a lot of times he can get pretty heavy and pretty command-oriented with the things that we need to be doing, and it can almost start to get like, okay, like, church, work, hard stuff, right? Like, you have to do, and you better be. But then he calms it down sometimes, especially when he uses the word brothers. He doesn't put himself as pastor to the people who can't figure it out, right? It's, it's, it's brothers, me with you. If we're family, me with you. Our roles are different. We have different leadership. We have different responsibilities. But in a lot of ways, we have the exact same responsibilities. So brothers, it's a call to thinking of family. Now, there's times in my own family that my brother, I didn't treat him like family. I treated him like I couldn't stand the guy, right? So in youth group, every time I see families are fighting and getting all mad at each other, I'm like, you know, get off. Calm down. Like, you love your brother and sister. Like, stop that. Don't talk about him like that. Like, love your family. We have to pray sometimes among this very group to say, my brother or my sister in Christ. Because sometimes the people that are at opposite ends personality-wise, let's just start there. Personality-wise, you're like, okay, we're not going to be best friends. You know that, right? There's certain people you're just like, man, I love you as a brother and sister in Christ, but man, you get on my nerves, right? You just, the way you do things, that's fine. But that's your family. Okay, and we kind of joke a little bit earlier. Someone came, like, oh, you got family here. Oh, yeah, your family's coming. You don't have a choice. Your family, right? Can you look at it that way? This is your family. You don't have a choice. You're like, well, I'll just go to a different church. That's fine. We're still your brothers and sisters. You might be at a different house, but it's the same brothers and sisters in Christ. The universal church of all believers is all of our brothers and sisters in Mumbai, Kenya, Africa, all over. Brothers and sisters in Christ. But locally, right here, let's get that concept. This is my close family that I have responsibility to, okay? Relationships are what help our church grow. Tim Keller does conferences, and he does various things at his church, and one of the things they started to do was an after-church type of fellowship, where people would come, they would sing, have a Bible study, just connecting by different age groups and different demographics. After they did it for a while, they kind of did a survey to say, hey, how is this helping you? What's the thing that makes this something you keep coming to? And in his mind, he was thinking, huh, obviously, like, I'm like, well, why did you come to youth group, kids? Because the teaching is phenomenal, right? That's what they're all going to say. They're going to be like, the teaching is just, this guy's teaching. Oh, my goodness. Ask the kids who already graduated. They're like, the teaching. That was why we went. You now, in all honesty, they're like, yeah, thumbs up, teaching, right? I mean, they're not like, well, I can't understand anything. But you know what a lot of times the teens will say? It's friendships. They come to be with their friends. And that's what his result came back with, too. It was the relationships. Yes, the preaching helped them live for Christ and be more Christ-like, but it was the friendships and relationships that helped them do it all the more. So I'm hoping that you're starting to gather a concept of, of why we're doing small groups the way we're doing them, because it's in relationship that you can get closer to people who can get to know you better, help you through your weaknesses, commend you in your strengths, and utilize you in the overall pursuit and growth of this church, its relationships. If we can't think of this group as our family, we don't want anything to do with other people here. We seriously need to consider our hearts. We need to ask God to help us overcome whatever the stumbling block in relationship is. We have to overcome that because this is your family. You look around this room and go, "Uh uh-uh. This is a weird group of people. Yeah, we have pretty much everybody here, right? You don't know that yet, but you're going to find out as you get to know more people, you're like, that guy's totally weird. You're going to get to know my eating habits. You've heard it some in some of the sermons. If I'm in your small group, you're in my small group, and we have a meal, and you bring something, I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. Ginger made soup. We went over elders. We have an elder meeting once a month. We just get together, and we just kind of eat, pray, and hang out. And she man, and I'm like, okay, so I scooped it, and I was like, all right, Ginger, what's in this? Like, I have to know. <laughs> She's like, okay, so there's this and this and this. And she's like, I made it so you wouldn't have a problem. I'm like, well, all right. So I could still eat it, but like texture, okay, whatever. Well, we get that, but we're family. So I'm not like, Ginger, you didn't make the thing I wanted. No, it was good. I ate it. I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying in family, that's how we function together. And Paul, beginning in this chapter, utilizes the word brothers. And I want you to get that and start thinking. My family, my family, Right? My brother got picked on, I'd end it. I'd t- I'd, I would take somebody else out. But I would do it, like I was, it was my family, right? So in some ways, we can put our, our arm around each other. We can poke each other like, ha-ha, how you doing? Uh, little funny stuff, but we're family. And when Satan is laying and ensnaring our brothers and sisters in Christ, we look at that and go, no, that's my, bro- that's my sister. I've got to go to them. I've got to help them, okay? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So brothers. If anyone is caught in any transgression, caught in any transgression, 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, it says this. this, It helps us grasp a little bit more of the family relationship and how we deal with one another. 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2 says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger men as sisters in all purity. The family aspect is not going to be something that you can look at in Scripture and go, "Well, I don't think that's what he really meant. No, it is exactly what he meant, and it's something that we need to take note of. If anyone is caught in any transgression. Now, (laughs) caught in any transgression does not mean someone sinned. Someone got mad, and what do you do? Well, you're right there with them. Hey! That's anger, that's sin, stop, right? You are not formally this morning being deputized to go after sin in everybody's life, right? If someone comes in with a frown on their face, what are you angry about? Repent now, don't come in here, right? We're not deputizing you to be like, we're all sin watchers, right? Like we all have laser pointers and we're kind of like, are you good? You're good, oh, you, don't smile because I know you're faking it. Oh, you, oh, like that's not it. We're not amping up, the execution of standards we're not amping up even the concept that people are sinners we're going to stamp that out if you come in here you better be righteous and we will help you i will make it so you just watch right you know how sometimes i deal with my kids that way where i'm like oh my yeah i get a hold of them i'm like listen to me right now you uh." that's not the call for believers Okay, so hear me and I'm going to say it and I'm going to warn you because it needs to be a warning. It needs to be a stern warning that, that after this message, you're not like, you. Now, and then you just, you just lay it into them. We're going to find out why not. Scripturally, I'm not just saying that to be like, because sometimes people are really mean to me when they say I do something wrong. That's not what I mean. Okay? It's a sin-destroying habitual thing it's now taking root in their life it's something that they're going to need outside intervention with if anyone is caught in any transgression our goal is to restore them okay it says you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness we should restore him Now, there's a widow in John chapter 8 caught in the act of doing things that she should not. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. We have a couple of younger people in here. She's doing the thing that she should not be doing. What do they do? They take her. They bring her to Jesus and say, let's stone this woman. We should stone her. The law says stone her. They're not there to restore. They're not there to help. They're not All they want to do is say, we got one, right? It's not fishing. Like, oh, I got one on the line. Let's get it. Yay. No, it's not that. And when Jesus, what does he say to them? You, who are perfect, whoever among you is without sin throw that first stone and what do they do? They're kind of like one by one they kind of contemplate like maybe, well, and they just leave okay so Paul's instruction here is not the same instruction that was given by Jesus he says you who are spiritual he does not say you who are perfect you who have it all together you who have no sin or you who are just confident that you're better than anyone else that is not what it says it says you who are spiritual but what does that mean? you who are spiritual is those who are walking in Christ those who have a regular and right relationship with God do you understand that sometimes in a regular and right relationship with God you have ups and downs and you have sin that you will commit but that you will repent of and you will have a right relationship with God listen to Matthew 7 this is the favorite verse sometimes when you confront somebody or say something say something to anybody about something that's wrong where they say judge not that you not be judged Right, Bible says judge not so get off my back and don't tell me I'm doing something wrong has it happened to you? it's happened to me Doesn't, and it's usually not Christians that say it it's someone else When you're like oh you really shouldn't be doing that right? you're not supposed to judge people alright let's go to the next verse for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured to you and then here's our practical application why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So here's a brother or a sister. What was happening then was, eh, a little outburst. They got mad. They were upset. And you saw it. They were like, oh, 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 they're mad. And here you are, habitually trapped in a sin, walking to them going, you shouldn't be expressing your anger like that. All the while, your hatred for your family is known, right? No one ever talks to you. You don't ever get told that. And then here's the beam in your eye. And you're like, let me fix your little issue. One of the greatest ways we know this is happening in our lives is when you get a sense that someone else is living in a sin habitually, and it's starting to destroy them, and they're starting to love that sin, and you go to talk with them, but before you go, you get that overwhelming sense of, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Like, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Like, I know there's things wrong with my life, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's a a claim on all of us. But is there a sin that you need to repent of? Is there a sin that you do need to wash out of your own life? The Holy Spirit works like that. You're burdened for someone, but then you're stopped because, well, you know, my sin, the thing that I love, the thing that I'm holding on to, if I go to them and say you should not do that, they're going to look right back at me and go, you shouldn't be doing that other thing either. Praise God when that does happen because you can utilize that as a conversation to say you are right. I want to help you. Will you help me? That's what we're going to find out in just a second when we talk about bearing burdens. The call to repent from the Holy Spirit will come to you so much more when you're looking at someone else like, hey, you haven't been in church in forever, and and you're stealing at work, right? You're not showing up at work. You're lazy. You're disrespectful to your parents, and you're calling your other friend to be like, you shouldn't be watching movies like that. Wait a minute. It's not saying you have to be perfect in your life. But will you be humble enough to be willing to say, I know that I sin in my life and I need help with that and I want to grow and I want you to grow. Why? Same word, because we're family, okay? Because we're family. It says, you who are spiritual. Are you walking with Christ? Are you meditating on his word? Are you praying? That's spiritual. It's not the spiritual people, the ones that seem to be the most and best and have it all. It's those that are spiritual. Our command is restore him in a spirit of gentleness. To restore means put back in order. Think about the earthly things, right? The, the, the thing that I hope someday happens for me is that I somehow win a, a, a 67, 66 fastback restored full Mustang, right? Not restore back to 67, the body, the 67, but then like transmission and steering and all the updated current stuff, right? So if I have a dream, you're going to go for it, right? That would be restored. It would be put back into a working order, right? But we're not just trying to get a person to be like, okay, don't sin. We're trying to get them out of the entanglement of sin and in a right and thriving relationship with God. Not to go back to living their old way, to be refreshed and new in what it is that God can do with their life. That's our hope. It's not to say, stop sinning, right? That's a struggle I have with my my kids, right? It's like, stop doing that. Just, Just don't do that. It frustrates me, it's embarrassing. Stop that. My kids, like they're always, you know, after church, you might get run into by one of my children. Please let me know because that's been a pretty stern warning. Stop running when there's a lot of people at church still. Like when it's empty, they're here a lot and they run. It's fine. But but I don't want to just say stop sinning. I want to say do the right thing. Do better. Do more, right? That's our goal. When we love our family, that's what we want to do. But but how do we do it? right? Like, like you're large and in charge, and, and you've been a Christian for 40 years, so you get to rebuke all the youngers, uh, and, every, and you're just going to lay out the law on all of them. Uh, Paul has dealt with that throughout uh, the majority of Galatians, of not setting up legalistic standards to say everyone will live by this, and they'll be okay. But then they're just going to hide their sin, and that's not what we want. We don't want ourselves thinking better than we are, and we're going to come to that in just a second. But the way we do it, and the word used is gentleness. Gentleness. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And I can't tell you that it's going to be done every time. Because even though I've warned you and I've explained it to you, some of you still are going to think now you're deputized and you're supposed to go and confront people that have committed a sin. And when that happens to you, I want you to pray that God will give you the spirit of gentleness. Because the first time, second time, third time, some people just don't get it right. They don't. Sometimes I don't get it right. So so be be forgiving, be gracious, because we're family, right? Right? And if we truly say we're family, we love one another, we're going to be okay with that. And we're going to communicate that. But sometimes you're going to have to let the wrong delivery from the wrong person be true. Okay? When that happens, it hurts. It's hard. Because I guarantee you the one person you're thinking better not rebuke you or confront you about a sin that's legitimately in your life will probably be the person who has a burden for you and they'll come talk to you. Remember the person I talked about before? The personality, the way they say things, it just gets on your nerves, but they come to you saying, Hey, I've noticed this about your life and I want to talk with you. I want to encourage you. Like, I want to help you. And you're just like, Oh, no. But realize God has moved, okay? Now, their delivery, like I said, it should be gentle. You should be gentle. How are you gentle? How do you carry eggs, right? That's our, like, my wife goes to the grocery store. She comes home, backs the van up. Winter, we back in the garage, outside, whatever. We go get the groceries. What do I do? I try and find the eggs and the bread. Because when the kids do it, they just treat it like it's a bag of stuff. They pick it up, they turn, they may hit the side of the van, they might hit the car, they might hit the tools in the garage, they come in, hit the door, open it up, and then they come in and they set it in the pile because that's what they do, right? They're very task-oriented, they're good at that. Trying to get them to invest a little bit into, do you have the eggs? Set those on the counter. Let's be careful with the eggs, right? Isn't that gentleness? It's the understanding of the difficulty that's in place of a believer That might need us not to come in like, guess what? Notch on my belt. I confronted a sinner again. (laughs) Like, we're going to praise you later. Like, there's going to be awards. Like, remember Awana Awards sometimes? All right, who rebuked somebody this week? Who tore them down so good? Get up here. Let's just applaud you, right? No. It's gentleness. It's coming with what we're about to see in Scripture is the reason why. We want to be more like Christ. We want to spend more time with Christ. And we want to go gently to our brothers and sisters because of our obligation. Let's look at the second one. Okay? Restoration takes place when we have hearts that guard against temptation. Verse 1. Okay? So we've got brothers, family, we get it. If anyone is caught in any transgression, we understand it's not just a sin. it's It's a constricting captured sin that they're struggling with, that they're going to be hurt by. It says, you who are spiritual, not perfect, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, not with aggression, not with I'm right, you're wrong. It's, it's, it's that. And then here's kind of the first part of our warning. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. You are not immune to what they're going through. You might think you are, right? You might think, well, I would never uh, do or say any of the things that another person is doing. If we look down on someone, if we think we're better than them, we're not family. You've thrown the family aspect out of the window, and now you look down at someone and say, uh, you're gross, you need to fix yourself, you need to change because you're not even at my level. Okay? You have to watch out for yourself, because I think sometimes when people have... And I, myself included, have looked at another person, like, I would never do that. Like, you see people at the grocery store, like, grabbing their kid's arm, like, That's wrong, and they're just walking out of the store. Like, oh my goodness, like, what is their problem, right? I would never do that. Would you stop that? I'm like, oh, I just did that. Wait a minute. I'm not immune to losing my patience with my children, right? The more you're with our family, and some of the teens are like, oh, yeah, we've seen that a few times. Like, oh, right? I'm not immune to that. But I'm not immune to any of the sins that any of you have struggled with or are struggling with. And you need to remember that. Because you too can be tempted. If we feel that we're above the person in their temptation, we will not be gentle in our approach. How many times have you heard it said? I would never do that. I would never allow that. What do they think they're doing? Why would they think that's okay to do? disguised as a prayer request because you're not going to confront the person. You're just wanting everybody to know that you know what they're doing is wrong. And then you're elevating yourself. You're distancing yourself as a family member. You're not tying yourself in to the strength of the Holy Spirit. And you're allowing yourself to be a judge, which Matthew 7 says, that's the same manner that will be used against you. And we need to be cautious of that. Galatians 5, 25 and 26, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited provoking one another, or envying one another. I mean, that can't be your attitude for restoration. If your goal is to look better, it it can't be your goal to say, look what I know. It can't be your attitude of, look at the people I'm fixing, right? You can't be a small group leader and be like, look at the peasants I'm in charge of. These spiritual derelicts can't do anything right. Thank goodness I'm their small group leader. If that describes your small group leader, please talk with me. But I'm pretty sure it does not. Because the heart of a restore of the redeemed is the same heart that our small group leaders have. When you answer the questions in your small group today or next week or whenever you're going to answer those questions, they're going to be watching over you and they're going to help you. Because you know why? They're a family and they're a part of a family just like you are. Like, we don't go and say, small group leaders, who has a master's in uh, uh, small group people stuff, right? No one? Anyone? No? I don't, is that a degree? Probably will be soon. I have a degree in small groups, right? It'll be great. That'll be helpful. But if it's not something that you incorporate into putting yourself at the same level of helping, it won't be helpful, okay? A heart that pursues the love of Christ and fulfills the law of Christ is number three. Spiritual restoration will take place when we have hearts that pursue the love of Christ and fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, sometimes when people sin, it's because of an overwhelming burden and difficulty that's in their life that's caused them not to trust the promises of God, and it's reflected in the nature and action which they commit. Do you know what I mean? A lot of times sin in my own children, which I'm trying to pick on them too much because... They're good, right? I mean, I'm not saying they're holy. I'm saying they're good. They're they're, they're just like your kids. They were just like you when you were a kid. But there's things that'll happen to them that they're overwhelmed by, and sin just spins out of that. Sin spins out of our our inabilities to deal with the burdens that are in our lives sometimes. And that takes time for all of us to grow in strength with Christ. Bear one another's burdens. That's the love of Christ. It's the down-to-earth reality of showing that you love someone. When you go to confront a person who's ensnared in the sin and you talk to them about it and they say, I know, here's why. Here's why I've really been struggling and I'm having a difficulty. See, see, you're no longer now the judge or executioner or the one in charge. You're the one that's saying, man, I love you. I hear that. I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna be there for you. I'm gonna walk with you through that. But let's get that sin taken care of. Let's repent of that. And they'll agree with you. I've never gone to a person, another believer, and said, What you're doing is sinful. And they're like, No, it's not. And then they twist scripture in some weird way. It just never happens. They just don't do that because they know it's wrong. But what happens is they justify the reasons for it. And that's sin. We come to them graciously and say, listen, do you understand? This is what scripture says. I understand your situation. I'm going to bear your burden. If you're not willing to bear a burden, which may be the cause of the sin at which you're confronting another person about, another believer, then you're not ready. You understand that? And I'm not saying you got to have a class on it. I'm not saying there's this thing you have to do. But if you don't care about the person enough to say, whatever the thing that might have caused you your sin, I will help you conquer. I will help you be an overcomer. I'm here for you because I love you. You're my family. If you can't say that, Keep praying that God will move in your heart. Don't keep listening to the sermon going, what was the thing? How are the steps? It's it's, it's you praying and saying, God, help me do that. Because when we do that, and we share that burden, here's what a burden is. It's something that will cause severe damage or difficulty if it's done alone. we help Pastor Brian move? The piano. Good. I'm glad you kept that. Let's get it in your new house, right? How many of us? I think it was five of us. Who could do that alone? I don't know the guy personally, but there is a guy. Have you seen the show? They're just huge. He could probably grab it, but his strength would be so strong, he would crush part of the piano. He'd get it done. But collectively, we all did it together. There's burdens that some of you are facing and that you're crying out to God to help you with. And, and maybe in some ways you've neglected trusting him. And someone might come to confront you about a sin, but you realize that person loves you and you open up about that burden that you can't carry alone. And then they say, I'm here for you. I'm going to help you through that. It's the ability to confront when it's met by the response of a burden, you help the individual because you love them and you're going to love them through it. You don't make them the object that you're trying to win and trying to be right. You're trying to be loving and Christ-like. John 16, says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You need to remember that when you're dealing with your burdens. There are people in this church who love you and will help you through that. That's our call. Are you willing and ready to say, I love my family that much? Sin is not my goal to express, it's my love to show them. It's to help them see the sin, it's to help them confess it and move forward, and then lovingly walk with them when it's a burden that's happened. This really takes away the legalism of it all. You're not doing the right thing. Why, well, I see, right? Because we would look at Job and go, his friends were like, oh, what did you do? Like, what have you done before God that he's doing all this to you, right? Is that what you're thinking when someone's struggling in sin and making bad choices? What are you doing wrong? May not be at all. May not be at all. But we're going to be loving and we're going to go to them. John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Uh, Go through just a brief Bible study on your own, how much Jesus loves you and what he's done for you. And then throw in the identity of who you were as he did it. In that we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's where we all started. That's where we all started. There's not a one of us here that's like, not me. I did so much good stuff that now he saved me because... And that elevates you, you can't, and you're not allowed to. Because when we say, uh, bear one of those burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, we do so in love, but it's the commandment of God, it's the commandment of Christ, love people the way that he loves us. And the more you understand that, the more humbled and gracious you become to the concept of helping another person. Bearing burdens is a call, not just confronting sin. That leads us to number four. Number four, spiritual restoration will take place when we have hearts that are humbled by God's grace. Verse four, verse three, I'm sorry, verse three and verse four, it says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself but let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. I mean, when you think you're something, when you think you're the guy that just doesn't have the sin like everybody else does so you're just going to help all these other people, um, you have forgotten the grace of God and you're forgetting the love that covers a multitude of sins. People are going to make mistakes. You're not deputized to go confront them about all of them. You may come alongside a person who slips up and say, hey man, how How, how are you doing? Is everything okay? Uh, No, no, I just keep losing my temper. Or, you know, I'm just frustrated and I'm having a hard time. Hey, uh, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. Uh, Tuesday, I'm going to call you on Tuesday. Let me know how it's going. But, man, I'm going to pray for you. I understand. I've been there. I know what you're going through. These are the terms of people who love one another. That's what they say to each other. It's not a matter of, well, you should just stop doing that. I guess your life would be better if you quit doing that. Don't you think? Uh right? And then they just storm off holding their Bible a little higher ah, please don't let me be that way. I don't want to be that way. I want to be loving to each and every one of you at any opportunity that I have. And like I said, I, I'm not going to get it right every time. And we're going to, we're going to work together through that. It says, uh, for anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing. Now, it's not that we should walk out here with our heads down, like, I'm nothing, I can't do anything, I don't have anything. It's the understanding that what God has done in us is what empowers us. Muhammad Ali, there's a story about Muhammad Ali getting on a plane. Muhammad Ali, is everybody familiar with him? Great boxer, best boxer, super talented, arrogant, with the skill to back it up, kind of, right? I mean, is everybody familiar with that? He's on a plane one day, and the stewardess is going down and says, put your seatbelt on. And his response is, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. Her response was, Superman doesn't need an airplane either. Put your seatbelt on, right? <laughs> that's, a, that's kind of an example of when you think you're something when you're actually nothing. He was the great bo- greatest boxer. I don't know. I can't say this because I don't follow boxing enough, but I know he did a lot of good. And his mouth kind of just went. And sometimes you watch his interviews and you're like, whoa. And then he backed it up. You were like, yeah. Like, okay, whatever. But in reality, by God's perspective, what are you apart from Christ? John 15, 5 says, I am divine. That's Jesus. I am divine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you go in the name of Jesus Christ to help restore your brother and you fumble the gentleness, you're going to get confronted about it, but you're going to be the one that's like, ah, you're right, I'm sorry, I kind of, I just, oh, you know, these things you're doing, they bother me, and oh, i got to tell you, okay, uh, but in love, I want to help you. And that's where we're going to make sure we're listening this morning. We're going to make sure we're hearing that. This verse does sound a little bit confusing, right? If he thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself, right? It's kind of like lying to yourself. I am in a prime physical shape. I don't need to work out. not as bad as some people, but I'm not as good as some others. But I need to understand that what I'm saying here, but let each one test his own work. What is the standard when you go to the doctor? Right? You guys remember that chart you walk in there? It's got the guy on the thing, right? It's got the circle. You know what I'm talking about? And then it has this chart. And you find your age. And you find your height. And you kind of go like this. And you're like, it's in the red. Like, why is it in the red? Like, (laughs) 42, lots of weight. <laughs> they're like, oh, but the curve's like right there. I'm like, oh, I'm so close. Like, it's not that bad, right? That's kind of how we get and we deceive ourselves. Like, I'm okay. Like, there's a couple of sins I'm kind of just, no one knows about, so I'm good. I'm really careful to, you know, confront people because, you know, they're going to close in on me. Are you family? Let us close in. You repent and live A more joyous life in Christ. In Nehemiah chapter 3, Nehemiah, they're starting to rebuild the walls. They're starting to rebuild. Chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 is listing the various tribes and people, groups that are helping. And then we come to verse 5 and it says, next to them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop. To serve the Lord, uh, the governors, uh, the elected officials, the higher ups—they're like, we're not building this wall. You go build the wall. That's the attitude. They—they they think they're something. Uh, without the wall, and someone attacks, who's going to die? All of us. Who needs to fix that wall? All of us. Nehemiah, the leader in charge. What is he doing? He's putting people in order, putting people in place, and they're all coming together to work. And you just have this one group that's like, well, not us. We're nobles. So if you're like, I'm a Sunday school teacher of 37 years, I will not move a chair, right? Remember the whole chair thing we used to do? I mean, we haven't done it in a while. But remember after church on Sunday? Stack all the chairs, put them in the back, put them in the room. Awana, tape the floor, put the thing out. After Awana, put all the chairs back. Do you remember that phase? Some of you do, and I'll be careful because... Some of your toes might get squished because some of you were like, church is over. You're like, okay, amen, all right, whoa, church time. Woo, let's get out of here. Uh, I got a reservation at uh, McDonald's. We got to go, like, quick. Sorry, can't help you with the chairs this week. And you're like, oh, right? Some of you kind of, and I don't know who, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, because sometimes I would be like, why do I have to do the chairs? I'm the pastor, right? That's the wrong attitude. And some of you might have been, well, I'm like, you know, my back. Like, I just, you know, I, oh, that, that That leaks into... Other issues of thinking, you're a noble? Oh, you're better? It might spill into that same thing when you are confronted about your sin, you try and rebuke the person for even saying anything to you. We have to watch out for that too. Unwilling to humble themselves to do a lower task. Pride creates an unwilling heart that in the restoration process of the church is damaging and it's not helpful. Test your own work, not according to other people, but according to what God says. That's how much you love people. Because some of us can have it where we will look at others and we will say, but they are more gifted at speaking. They're more gifted at conversations. They're better at remembering things. They just really love people and they pray for people better than I ever will. And you get a sense of, I'm inadequate. I can't do it and I won't. Let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone. You alone to God's standard. Who are you supposed to carry the gospel to? The people that you like, the people that are friendly, uh, the people that make you laugh, the people that you want to be around. No, it's to all people. It's to all people. It is to the neighbor down the street. That's the one that's always in everybody's business. It's always like, and it's like very annoying. And like, if you're seen talking to them, people are like, what are you being friends with that guy for? Uh, the gospel. That's why, right? If we compare ourselves against the other people that just kind of show up, sit here and leave... You're like, but I stay and talk with people, and sometimes I do help with chairs, right? Sorry, I, you know, we have a fight after church about the chairs, that's okay. <laughs> but you're like, I do the chairs every time, I'm always doing all that, and then you look down at the other people that are like, they don't ever do it, I'm better than them. Then you, Now we start to cultivate this sense of pride, like you're the hard worker, you're the one, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be able to do anything. That's prideful. We compare ourselves against God's standard alone, and we have a spiritual bragging that we can do, that God is using us. But it's us saying, first and foremost, God has emptied me of me and filled me with Christ, and I am rejoicing that God has called me into relationship with people in a way that I get to show them the love of Christ, not the love of Pastor Jamie. My love can go all over, and sometimes I'm very loving because it's great. Other times I'm like, well, you do that, and it can go over here, and I can avoid, but the love of Christ is the thing that we're calling people to, and we're doing it wholly and righteously, and we can, we can brag, but what does it sound like when we brag? Guys, guess what happened? I talk with my coworker and he's struggling. He's coming to Christ. God's working. Praise God. That's all we say. We've been praying in relationship for a lot of people for a lot of different things. And you all know different connections and the webbing of all of us praying and doing stuff. When you see things happen, you're not standing up going, look what I did. You're saying, look what God's doing. And I'm so thankful that I get to be a part of that. I'm humbled by that. It goes into our next verse again. About carrying our load. Number five, our last point, and it's just brief. But spiritual restoration will take place when we have hearts that answer the call of God. Verse five says, for each will have to bear his own load. Which it does kind of sound a little bit confusing. It's bear one another's burdens uh, and bear your own load. Two different expressions, two different words completely. And our understanding is what's going to help us get this. You have responsibilities in your relationship to life, don't you? Get up, go to work, make sandwiches, uh, clean the house, whatever it might be. You have all your responsibilities. Sometimes it's fun to do responsibility with other believers, right? Think of college, right? I see some of our college kids, like, you're in college nursing program, right? You're like, your responsibility is to study and do the test. I can't come along and go, can I do that for you? I can't, and you don't want me to, right? Right? I like asking some of them, like, hey, what, what, like, what thing are you doing now? And they're like, oh, it's cardiopulmonary syndrome. And I'm like, all right. I'll keep praying that you're smart. Because if I need help, I'm going to come to you, and you will know what to do, right? Because that's, that's the goal, right? I know what to do. It's great. That's your responsibility. Sometimes it's very difficult, isn't it? Sometimes it's not so difficult. A burden is the difficulty at which you can't make it through on your own. The load, in the actual word, is the soldier's pack. Spiritual warfare that we go through, the things that we do, we have our own pack, we have our own life, we have our own standard that we're going to be living by. We can help one another, we're not supposed to judge ourselves, well why is his pack so big and heavy, look at all the things he's doing, look at his, is really small, I don't understand. Judge accordingly to what God has given you to bear, and do it by his standard alone. We're accountable for our own. Our responsibility to God on judgment day will not be what everybody else did with their lives, it's what did we do with ours. Fathers, you have a relationship that is your pack; it is your load to carry, and there are responsibilities for it. Moms, same thing. Brothers and sisters, workers, various jobs, same thing. I look at some pastors, and I have a friend that's been in a church for 27 years, and he's been there for it seems like forever, and it's just growing, growing, going, going, growing, 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 and it's just great, and everything's good. And I'm looking at him going, that's not fair. I seem to go to a church when I first start and they're like, and I go to another church and it's like chaos and I go to another church and it's like, and I'm like, what is going on? Like I have steps of faith and I see, but he's just like, you know, I wasn't called to do ministry the way he's doing it where he's at. I'm called to do it here and it's joy and sometimes it's a struggle and sometimes my faith is tested but I turn to Christ, I turn to his promises, I have a brother in Christ, our lead pastor who sometimes we can sit and we just be like, ugh, Right, we just look at each other and go Ugh. and then it's the same thing similar with my wife we're up and down up and down Right, I'm all like Ugh. and she's like yay and then I'm like yay and she's like Ugh. same thing with Pastor Brian sometimes we'll sit there and he'll be like oh I just don't know what's going to happen this is all, this and I'm like oh it's great look at this woo Right. other times I walk in his office and stuff down like Ugh. and he's like oh it's going to be great look at this look at this Right. that's the complimentary relationship of having a family member who loves you a family member who will tell you don't do that don't do that that's going to hurt you Please stop. Turn. Turn away from that. How do I help you? How do I help you with that? Our desire to carry a person's burden is when we see them struggle and we see them know and when we can know they're hurting. They may not know it yet. They may be in the early phase of loving their sin, but that's when we need to come in and understand that the truths of Scripture is what we need to know to tell them that. You guys ever hear that uh, movie Lord of the Rings? Are you familiar? You read the books? are huge, the movie, so we're, we're pretty, uh, spoiler, all right, I'm going to spoil it for you, so if you haven't, just plug your ears if you haven't watched it yet, the ring has to be destroyed, Frodo says, I'll go, I'll do it, Sam, his friend, is going to go with him, at one stage he tries to leave Sam behind, because Sam can't keep up, he gets in the canoe, and he just kind of goes away, and Sam kind of walks out in the water, I'm not going to leave you, I'm going to go with you, and he about drowns, trying to do it, very emotional moment, right, Pulls him out of the water, puts him in the canoe. Goes, oh, all right, Sam, let's go. We're going to do this, right? Uh, two movies later, three books later, whatever, however you look at that. Here they are at the mountain, volcano. It's almost over. It's horrible. Frodo is being destroyed by the burden he's having to carry. Can't do it anymore. Sam looks at him, and he says, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. He picks him up. Remember that emotional one the music. The music is the best. He's picking him up. And he's like, oh, I'm Mr. Frodo. I can't carry it, but I can carry you. And he just mounts up the strength, and he goes up that hill to get him in there so he can destroy that ring, and it's great. The emotional connection there, are you feeling it? Where you're like, I remember that. Oh, so, like you're just, oh, oh, man. But if that stirs you emotionally... And then looking around this group saying, I see the burden you're going through, and I know you can't do it, but I'm going to carry you. I'm going to be there for you. Can you do that? I'm asking God to stir in our hearts this morning to look at each other, not as sinner to be corrected, but brother to be loved. Sin needs to be removed in our lives, but it can only be done in love. It can only be done when we're willing and ready to say, I will carry you, I will walk with you, I will go to the end with you. And those restoration shows they ruin us, don't they? Because we're like, oh, it's 30 minutes. You restore a car, it's like two weeks, right? Oh no. Restore a fridge, yeah, it's like forty-five minutes. No. What do you think it's gonna be like trying to restore a brother who's ensnared in sin? I told him a verse once and he didn't lose him. I mean, I, I love on him, but he... Yeah, you're going to tell him again. You're going to check on him again. And you're going to find out that they failed again and you're going to be there for him again. But as Christian discipline shows us, it becomes less frequently. And it becomes a harder battle. And it's fought and there is victory. If we are all a part of that in a loving way with each other, there's nothing this church can't do. There's no person that can walk in this door and go, but you don't know all that I've been through yet. Well, there's somebody here might. But we're going to love you and show you what Christ can do. Not what we can do, what Christ can do. And when that's our heart, listen to this. When our hearts have these characteristics, we will see restoration take place that brings all the glory to God. When people see our church and they see that one guy from town that everyone knows that always has the problem, it's different now. When you have that one co-worker that everybody's always like that person or that person in your physical, literal family it's always that way until they come to Christ and they see the difference. It's tremendous that God gets that glory. Is it not a joy for you to sit now and say, I'm ready for the labor. I'm ready to go to that person just like that guy standing in the car. Oh, that's deeper than I thought. Oh, I just give up? No. You bust out the bondo, right? That's what you don't want when you buy a restored car. How much bondo did you use on this car? Couple pounds. You're like, well, that's not good, right? We're going to labor because of love. I want you to stand with me. We're going to pray. We're going to sing a song and then we're going to take communion together. But when we pray, I want you to search your own heart, especially as we come to communion. What sin is it that you're willing and ready to say, I'm done with and I need help? Okay, that's our first step. But then, who is it that God is placing on your heart that you know is struggling with sin, that you love, and you are ready to go to in love, please don't miss, in love, and possibly carry their burden? If you're not ready to do that, continue to pray. It is not your goal to win an argument. It is your goal to restore a brother and a sister. Let's pray. Lord, as you search our hearts, as we ask you to look deep within us, I pray that your righteousness and your goodness would be in the forefront of our minds right now. Help us not think about the sins we've struggled with or the identity we think we have. Help us understand who we are in you and in you alone. God, remove the idea from us that we are the one in charge of dealing with sin. We're not. We've been forgiven by grace. We have been cleansed by your blood. What a penalty that you took for us. Help us be humbled by that. Help us be gentle. Help us be cautious. But for the sake of your word, we would go forward in love. The person that's on our mind right now, we lift you up. Whomever you're thinking about, You're praying. You're asking God, how do I do it? Ask God to give you the love for family. Pray that God will give them an ear to hear. But God, we want your glory to be shown brighter and brighter through this church. We want sin further and further away from us in our lives. We want to be overcomers and you are the way to do it. Help us do that. As we sing, encourage our hearts. As we remember your death on the cross, encourage our hearts today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.